Welcome to Concord Matters, a show seeking for concord, agreement in Christian confession. Concord mattered to Jesus and Paul, and so it does to us also. Spend these next 60 minutes as we talk matters of Concord. Concord Matters, a program produced by the Christ-Centered Leader in Confessional Broadcasting, Worldwide KFUO, online at kfuo.org. And welcome to Concord Matters, the show where we seek to be of one mind, that is the mind of Christ, and to do that, a couple of Christ-confessing Concordians confer with the Book of Concord to conform what we believe, teach, and confess according to Scripture in our Lutheran Confession of the Faith. On today's show, we are continuing our series on the Augsburg Confession, today covering Article 5 on the ministry. I'm your host, Pastor Sean Smith, pastor of the Evangelical Lutheran Dual Parish of Emmanuel West Point in St. Paul's Winehill in Southern Illinois. And my companion confessor in conversation about this article today is Pastor Jacob Herkamp. He is pastor of St. Peter in LaGrange, Missouri. Pastor Herkamp, welcome back to Concord Matters. Thank you so very much for having me back. It was a blessing to be with you the first time and uh, looking forward to this conversation today. Absolutely. Yeah, we're uh, pleased to have you back on. And today, as I said in the setup there, talking about this Article 5 of the Augsburg Confession on the ministry. And to get us going here, I'm going to go ahead and just read this. A reminder that on this show, we read from Concordia, the Lutheran Confessions, a reader's edition of the Book of Concord, available to you from Concordia Publishing House, the publishing arm of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. And this is Article 5 from the Augsburg Confession, the ministry. So that we may obtain this faith, the ministry of teaching the gospel and administering the sacraments was instituted. Through the word and sacraments, as through instruments, the Holy Spirit is given, citing John chapter 20, verse 22. He works faith when and where it pleases God, citing John chapter 3, verse 8. And those who hear the good news, that God justifies those who believe that they are received into grace for Christ's sake. This happens not through our own merits, but for Christ's sake. Our churches condemn the Anabaptists and others who think that through their own preparations and works, the Holy Spirit comes to them without the external word. All right, that is Article 5 on the ministry from the Augsburg Confession in its entirety. Of course, this follows after Article 4, that chief doctrine of the church. The article, we like to say, the entire church depends, stands, or falls on. And of course, we covered that last week in great detail. But why do the confessors here, Pastor Herkamp, follow up that chief doctrine of the church on justification with the ministry? Well, that's a great question. And I would say that the first sentence really gives us the answer that we may obtain this faith, referring back to Article 4 and justification, where they lay out what this faith in Jesus Christ is all about, that we are saved by him by his death and his resurrection and then ascension, and by believing that he died for our sins, we are given this salvation. And so in order that this faith in Christ be given to us, God so ordains and establishes the preaching office, the predicament, as the German would say, so that this commandment to preach Jesus and his cross would be done. And also in the establishment of the sacraments, holy baptism, the Lord's Supper. 
So the ministry of teaching the gospel and ministering the sacraments is indeed instituted that we are given this faith, that we might have this justification and make it our own in the gift that God gives. So faith here in the sense could mean two different things. The doctrine of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, as well as the faith in the sense that you believe this doctrine, that Jesus Christ is your Savior and is the one by whom you have this salvation. So I would say that with all of this, the church is very blessed to have this office that God ordains for the purpose of making this justification our own. Yeah, would it be fair to say, I like to use the image when I'm teaching this to like my confirmation students and so forth. You know, I go on online and I order a book from a website, right? And I enter my credit card info and I purchase that book. It is now there for me. But it does me no good until it's actually in my possession, right? It's exactly. at a, some company that I've ordered online, right? And so what I need is a means of delivery to get that to me. And so that's the wonderful uh, big brown truck or uh, white truck with blue stripes or whatever service is used. Uh, we have no favorites here on Concord Matters. Whatever service <laughs> is used to get that delivered to me, right? That's kind of what we're talking about here, right? That these are exactly. the means of delivery. Christ has won the justification. It's ours, right? He's done it. We can't go back 2,000 years ago and undo what he did on the cross. And so now this is part of that delivery means. Yeah, yeah. It's the, the preaching office, this ministry that we are discussing now in Article 5 is the means by which the work that Jesus did for us at the cross, that victory of the cross is now given to us personally, like you said about that book. Yeah. So as we uh, look at the article itself here, so that's how, that's our connection from Article 4 to Article 5. As we get into Article 5 here, what's kind of the main thing that we want to highlight first about this particular article? So I would say that the nice thing is, is that if you do have the reader's edition of the Book of Concord from Concordia, you have that nice note there. And they make the observation that the chief concern of this article is to teach and follow what the Bible says about how the Holy Spirit works, that the Holy Spirit is given and then also works via means or external means, such as how you just so eloquently put in your description of how the justification of Christ is given to us via means. The Holy Spirit also is going to work in that same way. He is the delivery man of what Jesus has for us. So the chief concern then would be what is said a little later in the article through the word and sacraments, as through instruments, the Holy Spirit is given, and then he works faith when and where it pleases God and those who hear the good news. So in this, the Holy Spirit is working via means. Those means in particular, the word and the sacraments. The sacraments, of course, being baptism and the Lord's Supper, both of those being instituted by Christ himself. And now the Holy Spirit uses those particular sacraments to grant faith, to give forgiveness of sins, to unite us to Christ Jesus. And then also we have the promise that he's working through his word. That also means by extension that if you 
take what Jesus says about the establishing of baptism and the Lord's Supper, well, he's going to also establish the office by which these sacraments are going to be administered. So he's going to establish the ministry of word and sacrament. And he's going to also, we know this from scripture as well, that part of the call of Christ's apostles is to go and preach, preach the doctrine of Christ Jesus and that we are justified by grace through faith alone. And so the Holy Spirit is also given and working through the preaching of Christ's word. And so we hear the final section of the article where our churches condemn the Anabaptists and others who think that through their own preparations and works, the Holy Spirit comes to them without the external word. We see, again, their chief concern is how the Holy Spirit works and how he promises to work. Now, if you go to other sections of the Book of Concord, this is discussed a bit more, particularly in Luther's small called articles. They're also condemned as the Anabaptists because of their false teaching on the subject of how the Holy Spirit comes and works. Luther calls the position of the Anabaptists and many others enthusiasm, that desire or belief that the Holy Spirit works without external means, without external vehicles. And he says there, we must constantly maintain this point. God does not want to deal with us in any other way than through the spoken word and his sacraments. Whatever's praised as from the spirits without word or sacraments is of the devil himself. And that's what Luther says in small card articles. Article three, confession. So for us as confessional Lutherans holding to this article of the ministry, this means that we know where to look if we desire to see the Holy Spirit working. This is where the gospel of Christ is being purely taught and the sacraments being administered according to Christ's command. And that kind of looks forward then a little beyond our scope for today, but looking at Article 7 and the church in particular. So where we, where we know the Holy Spirit is working, we see it in these external means of baptism, preaching, and the Lord's Supper. So that would be the likely main chief concern of this article and the formulators of this article concerning the ministry. And then also as a byproduct of this, since we're holding to the biblical view that the Holy Spirit is given and works faith through means of word and sacraments, we also see the doctrine of the ministry being discussed as a secondary concern in this article. So as I've already kind of said, if we know that Jesus instituted the sacraments himself in the gospels, we know that from Matthew 28, as well as on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread. We know that as well. And also we can't forget the half sacrament, I guess you could call it, of confession and absolution, depending on the, where you want to look for how you define the term sacrament. But we also know that Christ commands his apostles to forgive or remit sins and the authority to withhold forgiveness. So we should also then see Jesus as the one who establishes this office, overseeing the handing out of such gifts of the preaching and the sacraments so that this faith in Christ be given. So with all of that, we should also then look at the institution of the office of the ministry when we look at this article. Remembering also, of course, 
what I've already said about the Holy Spirit working through external means. Now we see the agent, I guess you could say, whom Christ has called to that particular office to be the steward of the mysteries of God, as Paul would say. Now, this isn't really in the article itself. We don't hear the institution of the office of the ministry per se. We don't have the particular verses that are used when we have a new ordination, but we have one of them, I guess, in John chapter 20 being cited in our article five. But the agenda of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, also has Matthew 28 as part of the institution, Matthew 28, 18 to 20. And then we also read John 20, 21 to 23. As I already said, it's cited here in Article 5, receive the Holy Spirit, as Jesus says after his resurrection from the dead. A few other passages that we should also think about and remember for this article, uh, particularly when we come to the ministry of teaching the gospel, we also hear Jesus telling his apostles that the proclamation of the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed that this is a divine necessity, according to his own word, that this is something that needs to be proclaimed. And Jesus then speaks to his apostles there that you are witnesses of these things and that you are going to go out and proclaim these things. This is the continuation of the ministry so that everybody knows the work of Jesus Christ and that they know it for their salvation. And it is also something to note, I guess, if you go earlier into the book of Luke, Luke chapter 10, when he sends out the 70, and he also does the same type of thing with the sending out of the 12, but particularly with the 70, he speaks in such a manner that says, the one who hears you hears me, and the one who rejects you rejects me. So when we look at the preaching office itself, we can begin to see how Jesus has establish it, and who is actually being heard by the preaching of this word of God. It is Christ, and the Holy Spirit is working via Christ's word to work faith, create faith in the person, in the hearer, when it pleases him. Yeah, I think it's important that we highlight that this is a scriptural mandate, if you will, from Christ himself. Uh, I, I was trying to think there of the words that you used you know, that Christ himself does give us this. And it's interesting earlier, and we'll talk about this a little bit more here in a bit, you know, we condemn the Anabaptists, and it's from the Anabaptists that you hear that common language that gets out in the church a lot, where uh, especially, you know, we'll call each other brother, so-and-so, and things like that, right? It comes out of the Anabaptist tradition. You still see that, uh, especially with your real uh, I'll call them staunch Anabaptists that are like around me here in Southern Illinois with the Amish and so forth. They call them brother so-and-so because they don't really have pastors. They'll have people that they appoint, but basically anyone can get up and teach and preach, right? And so it's always a little interesting. I mean, we'll use that language even in our Lutheran circles at times and so forth, but I, I think we should maybe be a little cautious with it because there is a definite scriptural matter here that Christ gives certain people to this office for that work. And I think it connects even back to the Old Testament, right? That 
you had priests who were appointed, I mean, a whole clan even, and the Levites for service in the tabernacle and then temple as well. So I think it's a very scriptural matter here. And yeah, I mean, do you think that maybe one of the reasons that they don't have more of the scripture citations in there that you walked us through and so forth is maybe because there's not much disagreement with Rome on this particular issue? Or how did Rome kind of respond to this article here in the Augsburg Confession? So it's really funny you ask that question, because if you go to the apology, Melanchthon has nothing on Article 5. The Roman Church at the time did not disagree at all with the formulation of Article 5 on the ministry. So there was agreement across the board with this article. So it is interesting just to note, because a little later, you know, when we get into the later articles, because you can't really look at Article 5 without jumping to, like I said, Article 7 and Article 8 and 9 and 10, as well as 11, because everything in those, it all comes back. The ministry is established along with the church at the same time. Everything goes back to Christ's crucifixion. Uh, if we want to go to to John, where we see out of his side flowing the blood and the water, he gives up his spirit there. He tells his mother to to go to John. So Jesus clings to his bride, the church, at that time as he gives up his mother. So it is interesting just to note that Rome does not disagree with our Article 5, but certainly they have other issues they take up later. So I don't wonder if they, when this was formulated by Melanchthon, we didn't need to put all these other texts in because, yes, it was all in agreement. But I think in our own day, we have probably come to a, I'm not trying to be mean or anything, but it's, it seems like we have lost the definition of what the ministry really is, if that makes any sense, because we talk about various types of ministries in the church now and in other churches, like you kind of brought up, you don't have pastors in some of these church bodies like the Amish, for instance. And so every single person can possibly jump up and speak. You see this also like in the Quakers. I remember, I don't have family in it, but I do remember somebody who in my family attended one time just to see what it was about. And they attended the church and it was literally everybody sat there for an hour before somebody was in the spirit and began to teach. So it is interesting to make those distinctions where we have those names like brother and the like. And now sometimes we hear it even in our, in our own circles. But I think in our day, the definition of the ministry itself is something that we need to, to come back to. Several different articles have been written on that subject about what the ministry is, how we should view the ministry and the like. And uh, we can probably talk more about that here soon. But the fact of the matter is, is that Christ is the one who establishes it. And as you brought up there, it is a very biblical notion. You know, this is a biblical theology that we are working through concerning the topic of the ministry. We see how Jesus is the central point and the one who establishes it from the gospels themselves. And out from there, we, we move as he directs us. I think you have an excellent point there to say, 
Yeah, what gets lost is what is ministry? What actually is ministry? And I'm with you, definitely not to be mean or anything like that. You know, again, we even have this within Lutheran circles where you get a minister of such and such, right? And okay, we can maybe use that language and so forth, but is it helpful to understand that? Because sometimes a lot of those things are related to mercy work, right? And so I'm just, this is one of Sean's soapboxes that I get on from time to time on this show, right? Is that, you know, I think we should be very specific with our words so that it helps give clarity to what we're talking about. Because you see this oftentimes, you know, we as pastors, we get calls to other congregations and things like that. And you see all the sorts of things that a congregation lists that they want their pastor to do and everything is, and you say, well, what's interesting is that sometimes what gets listed in those things is nothing of the ministry. Now, maybe it's just assumed, right? Of course, our pastor is going to do the ministry. And we're, we're going to get into that, clearly identifying that. And of course, it's been laid out here for us as well. But a lot of times you get these other things listed that, at least in my mind, I tend to think, well, that would maybe fall more under of an Acts 6. Like, we're going to devote ourselves to the word and to the teaching, right? And this mercy work, these other things, those are fine. And I sometimes wonder if we don't do ourselves a disservice by calling everything under the sun ministry, that we lose a true sense of what real ministry is. Um, we're going to actually take up that definition on the other side of the break. Before we get there, we have a couple minutes here. I did want to just read from the confutation here, their response to Article 5. It says, in the fifth article, the statement that the Holy Ghost is given by the word and sacraments as by instruments is approved. For thus it is written, Acts 10, verse 44, while Peter yet spoke these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word. And John 1, verse 33, the same is he which baptizeth with the Holy Ghost. The mention, however, that they here make of faith is approved so far as not faith alone, which some incorrectly teach, but faith which worketh by love is understood. As the apostles teach or write in Galatians 5, 3, for in baptism there is an infusion not of faith alone, but also at the same time of hope and love, as Pope Alexander declares in the canon majors concerning baptism and its effect, which John the Baptist also taught long before, saying Luke 3, 16, he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. All right, so that's the confutation's response to Article 5. And it's interesting that you said that Melanchthon doesn't really take it up in the Apology, but so it's approved, but then it's not. I mean, that whole faith alone thing, which they say in the computation, which some incorrectly teach, that's kind of a big thing of the Reformation, isn't it? Yeah, it is kind of interesting. I did not have the computation in my arsenal in preparation for this, so I was unable to do that. So I appreciate you bringing the computation into the conversation. Uh, it is a very interesting way to say, one, it's approved, and then on the back end, say, well, if it's connected to justification in any way, it has to be condemned, right? So I am surprised that uh, it says that. Could you read that final bit one more time about the justification? Uh, let's see here. Um, My apologies. Uh, so there was so far as not faith alone, which some incorrectly teach, but faith which worketh by love is understood as the apostle teaches a right in Galatians 5.3. Okay, so right there, that, that's that's it, because they say, right there that the, as long as it's not being taught that justification comes by faith alone, right? Yeah, basically. So basically yeah. what they've done is, is they said, well, as long as 
if you can take out that first part of the first sentence so that we have attained this faith, the ministry of the teaching of the gospel, man, the ministry and the sacraments was instituted. If you can take out that, like, so that we may obtain this faith, which comes from justification, we're fine with it. But I think I, I would say, I mean, I, I need to reread the apology on justification, but I think most of this, it's really just going back to, they don't like justification the way that we, that the, the way that the Bible says it, they have to make it into a work for salvation. And so the way that Melanchthon articulates article four in the apology, I think really does deal with what comes up in this article of the ministry. And particularly again, when he speaks about the church in the apology as well, because like I said before, both of these, you know, it's connected to justification. It has to be. Otherwise, what's the point of the ministry if it's not to deliver the gifts of Christ's victory at the cross? If that's not what the ministry is about, then why did God establish it? And then on the back end, if the church is not where the sacraments and the doctrine of the gospel are taught and administered properly, what's the point of this? If God has ordained the ministers to do these things for this purpose in giving us this faith there's really no point. If it's not connected to justification, Article 4, there's really no point. And what's interesting is, is you've just read it out in the confutation that the Romanists of the day do not want this to have any connection to justification by grace through faith alone. So it is interesting to note that he does not, that Melanchthon does not take up Article 5 in its entirety again in the Apology. But I think it really connects back to Article 4. I'll have to reread Article 4 to see if there is a connection between justification and the ministry made in that article of the apology. But uh, I would certainly believe that it has to be made, right? Well, yeah, I would, I would say, so Article 5 in the apology is love and fulfilling of the law yeah. or, or love and fulfilling the law, right? Which is often considered an extension of Article 4, and it's a really long article in the Apology as well, and often considered of that. And so I think you've got the correct point here, right? That ultimately the ministry is connected to the Article 4. Everything for us is connected to Article 4, right? Leads to that, proceeds from that, and so forth. And so, you know, when you look at the confutation here, and they're talking about, you know, that it's not faith alone, but it's faith infused with this love, this working of love, that's their point in response to our article on the ministry, also probably New Obedience, Article 6, which comes next. And so then Melanchthon does take it up in Article 5, Love and Fulfilling the Law in the Apology, and kind of draws all these things together and connects it back to justification. So yeah, that's, a, that's just an important point that I wanted to make there in that kind of connection of how this all gets responded to here and goes back and forth. And the main point being there that obviously it, it flows forth from Article 4 justification. Uh, as we get back to the Augsburg Confession itself, as I said, we're going to take a break here now. But on the other side of the break, I want to pick up and start with talking about what is the ministry. We talked a little bit about understanding what that ministry is. And if we're not precise with our definitions, you know, we can call a whole lot of things ministry which is maybe more like the Roman confutation. We're working love into what we do in our love, our works of love, 
as being the ministry as opposed to what Christ has done for us. So we're going to get that definition of the ministry, be precise with that on the other side of the break with our guest, Pastor Jacob Herkamp. I'm your host, Pastor Sean Smith, and you're listening to Concord Matters on KFUO. Greetings, saints of our Lord. This is Brady Finneran from Thy Strong Word. Join us to be renewed and refreshed by God's Word and to be pointed to our resurrected Lord Jesus every weekday from 11 to noon, live or on demand, because God has gifts to give for you. Concord Matters as we continue talking with Pastor Jacob Herkamp. He is pastor of St. Peter in LaGrange, Missouri. And Pastor Herkamp, today we are talking about Article 5 of the Augsburg Confession, the ministry. And just before the break, we brought in the confutation and how the Lutherans responded to that. And uh, well, first, how the confutation responded to what the Lutherans put forward in Article 5, and then how the Lutherans responded to the confutations, which said it's accepted. But as we've heard from several of our guests about the previous articles, especially one through three, yeah, those are approved and they're connected to the historic teachings of the church. Very important to have those there. Uh, Go back, check out those episodes. We talk about all of that there. But as we say, you know, there's kind of always this sense where, yeah, the Roman Catholics approved it. This is the faithful teaching. But did they really, right? And we saw some of that with the confutation. And I think it gets at something that I think is a contemporary issue, as we talked about. You know, what exactly is the ministry? What do we mean when we use the term ministry? What are we actually talking about is the work of the ministry, I might even say. So go ahead and give us this definition. When we're talking about the ministry here, especially in Article 5, how is that identified And then we can maybe get into, you know, where we see some places that maybe that gets a little muddied because it certainly was for the Roman Catholics in the confutation there. Yeah. So according to Article 5, the definition of the ministry, there is only one ministry. It is the ministry of teaching the gospel and administering the sacraments. That is the ministry. Those are the actions of the ministry, teaching the gospel and the gospel here means preaching both law and gospel, the law being subservient to the gospel so that we might have faith in Christ Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins. And then alongside with that, from such preaching of law and gospel, the sacraments certainly follow. So there is no other ministry other than this ministry as given in Article 5 the teaching of the gospel and the ministry in the sacraments. Um, you know, that word and can be a problem for some. Some people think that it's two different things being discussed and it is, but they're both under the same ministry. And let's not forget that preaching leads to the sacraments. You can't really have one without the other here. The story of the Ethiopian eunuch with Philip along the Gaza Strip, for instance, The Ethiopian eunuch is reading the scroll of Isaiah. He's in Isaiah 52 and 53. Philip is 
brought to him by the Holy Spirit. Philip asks him if he understands what he is reading. The eunuch says, no, come up here and, and teach me. Philip does. He preaches about Christ, showing how Christ is the suffering servant who takes on the stripes of the Father. And by his stripes, we are healed. And then immediately, we hear the Ethiopian eunuch say then, here's water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? So preaching leads to the sacraments. You can't have one without the other. Now, the contemporary ideas that we have kind of skirted around, you can begin to get an idea here of possibly the different terms or different ways that ministry is now used in our parlance and see that that's probably a misuse of the term according to the Augsburg Confession. And I'll leave that there for the moment. And I think, as we've already said, definitions are important and being precise with our language is important. And there is nothing wrong. We love to see the church working out of love for one another and for those who are in need. And those works of mercy, it's probably the better way to talk about them being works of mercy. They are an outflowing of what is already being done by the work of the ministry. That's why we get the new obedience following Article 5. We have the ministry by which we have this faith given to us, the preaching of the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ, who died for our sins, Christ and him crucified. And then we also receive that forgiveness in the means of grace by the preaching of the word and the administration of the sacraments, the reception of holy baptism, the Lord's Supper. And out of that flows love for neighbor as well as for God, as we pray in our divine services at the end of our communion liturgy, right? By which we have fervent love for you and one another, we pray in, in that concluding collect. So what we sometimes hear as ministries, for instance, uh, you know, not to call any congregations out, but you know, there are some congregations that have a quilting ministry. Well, that's a wonderful thing that the ladies are able to do, the people, the congregation are able to do, but it's not connected to word and sacrament proper. It is a derivative of that. It is an outflowing of the love which is given to you and created in you because of the gospel in your heart, that God has loved you. So now out of that love that he has shown to you, you show love to one another. And that's an important connection to make. And, and I want to be very clear on this, and I know you're standing with me on this. We love our quilting ladies. I know there are some quilting ladies that listen to this show while they're quilting. So by no means are we condemning the work that you do. It is great. Uh, you heard Pastor Herkamp say that, right? And so uh, keep doing that. But again, just in terms of being precise, it's probably not the most helpful for us understanding what the ministry is when we call something like that a ministry, you can call it a mercy work or just a loving thing that we do. And one of the other ones that I often like to use, and possibly this is where it gets a little more nuanced and complicated for some folks and why I'm pushing for this preciseness here is that you'll often hear things like youth ministry. And I've been asked this all the time by churches when they call you or other things like that, right? 
and they say, well, what do you do for youth ministry? And I say, I preach the word and I administer the sacraments. And by the way, I like what you said there too, that it's word and sacraments. They go together. I mean, the sacraments are nothing but the word made visible, tangible, and real as we you know, make the point on this show all the time, right? That is what we believe according to scripture and confess as Lutherans, that the sacraments and the word, they're the same thing. They go together. And that's what delivers. I mean, this is where Article 5 starts, right? It says, so that we may obtain this faith. It's relating back to Article 4 on justification. And so that we can receive what Christ has done for us in his justifying work, we have the word and sacraments. And so it always gets a little surprising to me when I answer that question and they say, well, yeah, but no, like, what do you do for youth ministry? And I say, I preach the word and administer the sacraments. And then they usually start to get frustrated with me and they're like, yeah, no, but like, what events do you organize and things like that? And I say, I tell them to come to the divine service and be in Bible study and grow in the knowledge of their faith and receive God's gifts to them. I mean, it's just what it is. That's the ministry. Now, if you want to talk about getting together and, you know, playing broom hockey or whatever else, you know, other things that you may put youth in doing together, that's fine. But that better be flowing forth from the word and the sacrament, right? That's where our focus has to be. And that's why I'm pushing for this preciseness, because if you make youth ministry about anything other than word and sacrament, don't be surprised when your youth ministry doesn't succeed in producing Christians in the church after they've gone out of that age. And again, we're not being mean in any of this. We're just trying to help push us to understand. And I, I have experienced this myself. And I brought this up on the show at other times before, too, is that, you know, you kind of get out of that age. And if the ministry is made about anything else, well, then it's real. It's a real short jump for me to then realize, well, then when I don't feel like doing these things or I think that they're childish or I'm just ready to be done with that and want to go on to other things. If it's been about anything else other than the word and the sacrament, then I don't think it's for me anymore. And I don't think church is for me anymore. And I've seen that and experienced that myself. And so that's why I push so hard for preciseness of language. But this can apply to a whole host of things. And so I think that it is important to get this definition here. Do you want to respond to any of that, Pastor Herkamp? Oh, yeah, totally. I, I certainly agree with what you are saying there. Um, another thing that can occur when we don't use precise language concerning the ministry, it turns into anyone can do the ministry or have a ministry. And sometimes the indefinite article A versus the definite article the gets lost as well. We need to be very, very nuanced and careful with how we speak because what will happen or what can happen is when we move away from this precise definition as given in the Book of Concord, Augsburg Confession, Article 5, about what the ministry is, the teaching of the gospel and administration of the sacraments. If we say it's something other than that, we can then jump to, well, anybody can do it. And then that understanding goes back into Article 5 and says, well, anybody can do the administration of the sacraments or anybody can teach the gospel and so on and so forth. And we need to be very careful. Now, certainly we have Article 14 holding us accountable as well in this further down the line. But if we don't keep a firm view of what the ministry is and who established it, 
That's the other aspect of this. We need to remember who establishes the ministry and the people that Christ himself has placed into that office. Because when we move beyond this definition and get into our own definition or add things to it and then muddy it, we can certainly lose sight of the ministry itself, the proper ministry, the preaching of the word, the administration of sacraments, and go down some very, very dark roads that we need to be very careful not to go down. Um, you can look at, you know, church bodies that hold to women's ordination, for instance. Now, granted, women's ordination does not necessarily come out of Article 5, but in a way, when the definition has been affected, it certainly can be seen as something that comes out of Article 5. Because here we're talking about the ministry itself, the teaching of the gospel and administration of the sacraments. Anybody can teach their children the truth of Jesus. We want that. We want our parents to be teaching our children. We want our fathers and our mothers both to be in the word teaching their children. Yet at the same time, we have a public office that Christ has established for the good of the church so that this faith in him would be given, right? He didn't just say anybody could be in that office. He placed men into his office of apostle, disciple, apostle, and so on and so forth. The ministry is a continuation of that. We're not apostles, but we are certainly in the line of the apostolic succession in the sense that we follow what they have written. And we take seriously their words as given in scripture about who can be the stewards of the mysteries of God. And so, again, going back to preciseness of definition, preciseness of where we look for the establishment of the ministry, going back to Christ himself, and then understanding that who is actually being proclaimed, who is actually being heard in your pulpit on a Sunday morning or any Lord's Day or any time that you are in service, in worship, you are to be hearing Christ and him crucified for you. And this is what I love about that one painting that uh, I think was a Cronach painting. Luther is in his pulpit and the people are down below and in between them is Christ crucified. They are hearing Christ for them. And that's why also the, the pastors wear vestments. We are there standing in the stead of Christ Jesus for those people in the congregation to which we've been called. They are to hear Christ. That's why pastors are men. We are standing in the stead of Christ, who himself is a man, the bridegroom of his church, and the church is the bride. So pastors are men following Christ's teaching, Christ's establishment of this office for the good of his church. Yeah, I think what you said there is well stated, and you brought in, like, for example, AC 14, right? In a sense, if we don't get the definition of what the ministry is, then we're going to get particular issues wrong later. Namely, who can do this? And that's why we're harping on the preciseness of this language here, is because we're going to get that wrong. And we might even say, uh, I forget who did the uh, show now, but uh, oh, I, I think it was Pastor David Weiss did Article 3 on the Son of God, and he made the point there. That, of course, comes before AC 14. And so he said, you know, if you get the person and work of Jesus wrong, then you're going to get justification wrong. And likewise, what we're saying here on the other side is not only are you going to get the particulars of who can do the ministry and other aspects of that wrong if you get the definition 
and foundation of what the ministry is wrong, if you're not precise there, I'm hearing you also say, and would concur with you, we also then get who Christ is wrong. And that's, I mean, central to who we are as Christians, right? That's all connected into this, is that it's all focused on Christ. As you said, we preach him and him crucified, which is justification. And ultimately, it all comes back to Christ. And so were there any other points that you wanted to make here on the focus on Christ that this article has? Because I don't know that, you know, other than the fact that he institutes it and so forth, which, of course, is no small thing. But I don't know that if sometimes just a casual reading of something like Article 5 of the Augsburg Confession, we necessarily would say, oh, yeah, that's all about Christ there. But you've made that point, and I think it's a good point. Did you want to say any more on that? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think if everything that we are talking about, if the ministry is really for the obtaining of the faith in Jesus Christ, and the content of our preaching is Christ, you're actually dealing and being confronted by Christ himself in the work of the ministry, right? Because here we are, the work of the ministry takes place in the divine service, right? Or in, in any worship service, particularly in the divine service where the teaching of the gospel and the administration of the sacraments are both happening there for you. So you are dealing with Christ himself because it's his word that you are listening to that is being read to you and then preached to you. And then in the sacraments themselves, as you said before, the tangible word, the word that is connected to an external form is now given to you, particularly in the supper itself. You have his body and his blood given to you as a sign, but also as a pledge of his faithfulness to you in this life in preparation for the next. And as we also talked about the foretaste of the feast to come, here is Christ for you in this place via the ministry which he has established it gives you christ so if it's not focused on christ it probably shouldn't be here right if we always connect it back to justification ministry is giving receiving christ as it says there you know all of these things that the holy spirit is doing he's not doing it on his own accord he's not doing something out of line but he's doing everything in order that you and i would know Christ. He is always pointing us back to Christ, taking us to him, giving us him in word and sacrament. And so the ministry itself is a Christological thing that we need to, you know, it's not spoken of in Article 5 per se, but the more that we dive into this, the more that we look into this, here is Christ in yet another place that you can look to and know that you are dealing with Christ himself. That's how we speak about, you know, the confession absolution, when you hear the words of your pastor in private confession absolution or in any absolution, you confess there with Luther as if Christ, our dear Lord, was dealing with us himself, right? Well, this is what the ministry is. Christ, our dear Lord, is dealing with us through the men that he has placed into this particular office to give you his gospel and his sacrament. If it's not about Christ, then it doesn't need to be here. That's a great statement. Well said. This is exactly what we're making the point about here in terms of the ministry. And I also want to make this point, too, that it's going to connect with Article 7, right, of the church. And I make this point because, you know, this show is on KFUO Radio, which has as one of its mottos, right, Christ for you radio, right? And so... 
we want to be very clear on this point, and we make this point all the time. This show and all of the other wonderful shows that are on KFUO Radio do seek to have the proclamation of Christ, to teach his word, to uh, have our beautiful hymns and music that profess Christ available to you over radio and live streaming and podcasts and all those sorts of things, right? And that's great, and that's wonderful, and that's certainly, in a sense, we might say a part of the work of ministry, but it's not the church, right? It's not the church. And we want to be very clear on that because, again, this is an important, you know, be precise here, is that it's the word and sacraments that deliver Christ to you, and they go together, and that's going to be the definition of the church. And so there's lots of ways that we can help support that work of the church that is the ultimate means of this delivery of the ministry, the full ministry. And so something like this show and the other wonderful Bible study shows and things like that that KFUO does, just even KFUO Radio in its existence of itself, right, only supports the work of the ministry, supports the work of the church. And so I just wanted to make that connection in there because I just thought that that was an excellent line. If it's not about Christ, then it doesn't need to be here. And I just found myself thinking, exactly, right? We're trying to point to Christ in this teaching here. And I think you laid that out very well for us in terms of the ministry here. Uh, With about five minutes or so here, a couple more things we want to get to on this article before we wrap it up for the day. We talked earlier about paragraph four there. Our churches condemn the Anabaptists and others who think that through their own preparations and works, the Holy Spirit comes to them without the external word. Do you want to talk a little bit more about that and why it's important that the Lutherans here, uh, we often talk about, you know, we have this kind of two sides of things, you know, we're confessing against Rome and its errors. And uh, well, I probably smoked there. I would say we're confessing the faith to the emperor, the true biblical Christian faith, right? But then in terms of what we're confessing the faith against, there's kind of two sides there. And that would be Rome and then kind of everybody else in one sense. And here specifically cited the Anabaptists. Did you want to say anything about this particular condemnation here? Uh, yeah, sure. Because, you know, I think we have a, uh, we, we live in very interesting times because we can Probably even I've heard this in our own parlance and our own tribe, I guess you could say, especially if you uh, have in my neck of the woods, there's a lot of Southern Baptist churches and the like, but there's also a couple of more charismatic churches and they are concerned about having a spirit filled church. Is it a church that is spirit filled? When they say something like that, where the Spirit is alive and well, they have no problem with speaking about the Holy Spirit in a way that, you know, it's not spoken about like that in Scripture. And they certainly don't mean that the Bible is being read. Now, of course, it is being read in their services and the like, but when they're talking about the being filled by the Spirit in the sense that they use it, it's a, they have the inclination they think that the holy spirit is making them convulse and the like when it's not we have plenty of people who are leading many christians astray by using the holy spirit in this way of saying that the holy spirit has led me to go and say things that are anti-biblical 
for instance, and they can just say, well, the Holy Spirit told me to say that, or the Holy Spirit's put this on my heart that I really need, we need to talk about whatever array of weird non-biblical doctrines, uh, for instance. I can't, I'm not going to go into any big specifics, but you can probably look them up on all kinds of different platforms. But when we take away the external word from the Holy Spirit, so the Holy Spirit can do, I mean, in our minds, the Holy Spirit can do whatever it wants. And I think the reason that the Anabaptists in particular want the Holy Spirit to work without the external word is because they do not want the Holy Spirit to be bound. Just like how we speak about Jesus, the person and work of Jesus, the Son of God and Son of Mary, right? We have this problem sometimes in Christological controversies where the, the finite is incapable of the infinite, right? You know, people don't want to say that the God nature of Jesus is bound by his body. Since he's in heaven, the body of Jesus is up in heaven and his spirit is free to roam wherever it pleases. But that's not how God works. God has so formulated his promises to us and says, this is exactly where I'm going to be. This is exactly how I'm going to act. This is how my Holy Spirit will be given to you. This is where you need to look. Jesus is very specific about this, how the Holy Spirit will be your helper. He's going to point you back to my words. He will remind you of my words, which, oh, by the way, is an external word. And so what I think is also interesting, sorry, I'm going over, but uh, interesting to note that uh, I think these days, I mean, every church, not just the Anabaptists, can be fraught with this problem. Even Rome itself has this problem. And I would say that they could probably have put the Anabaptists and Rome into the same category here because it seems our sinful nature always wants to disengage the Holy Spirit from the external word so that the Holy Spirit can do whatever we think it needs to do. And thus, Satan is using it against us, using the name the Holy Spirit against us to lead us again down, down very dark roads, ultimately to himself at the end. Yeah, I often like to say that the issue is that, and I'll just call it broadly American evangelicalism, as I often do on the show, that the problem becomes is the Holy Spirit is disconnected from the Word. But it's not a Holy Spirit that's entirely disconnected because they'll connect the Holy Spirit to their feelings, their sense of what they're getting in worship and all of those sorts of issues. And uh, we'll continue to bring some of those things up and things that come here. Uh, with just one minute here, go ahead and wrap us up and focus us how does this article, Article 5 on the ministry from the Augsburg Confession, connect us to what's coming next in the Augsburg Confession? So I think what you've already said about the computation, because I think with Melanchthon here, he sees what the ministry is and what its main goal is, right? To obtain this faith of justification that Christ has won for us. The ministry is to give us these things by the teaching of the gospel, the ministration of the sacraments. And then Article 6 is all about the new obedience. We don't go straight to the church. We go to what is the new obedience. The fact of the matter is, is that in the preaching of the gospel and the administration of the sacraments, we are being taught how God has so loved us, and then by which now we also love God. At the same time, by that love of God being given to us, we are now called to bring forth good works, good fruit, as it's going to be said here. You know, our churches teach that this faith 
is bound to bring forth good fruit. So now that we have established that the ministry gives us faith in Christ Jesus, outflowing from this faith is what is called the new obedience. You might also say it might be the third use of the law. The fact that we are now called to love God and love neighbor and are able to do that because of Christ Jesus, who has done it for us and now is living within us by holy baptism as we are united to him via those blessed waters and also taking him into ourselves by the administration of the Lord's Supper. So that's where we'll be moving on to next time. All right. So absolutely. Next week, we will look into the Augsburg Confession, Article 6 on New Obedience. Thank you today, Pastor Jacob Herkamp, for joining us for Concord Matters and teaching us the Lutheran Confession of the Ministry from Article 5 of the Augsburg Confession. Thank you very much and have a blessed rest of your day. All right. And thank you also, dear listener, for stopping by today. And until next time, keep confessing, church. Thank you.